So as we were preparing for this moment and as Esther was communicating so beautifully our opportunity to be generous and gracious as we make the world a more beautiful and a more human place. I, I, I had this moment where I, I felt as if a conversation was happening inside of me that I did not initiate. You, you, ever, you ever feel like you have way too many people in your head? You ever wondered where all those voices come from? You ever, you ever just feel so confused because you're arguing with yourself? And there's no one else involved. You know, one, one of the things that, that it, it really for me was so challenging when I came to faith in Jesus was that so many things that Jesus talked about as if they were normal sometimes feel almost as if they're abnormal. That God speaks about being human in a way that sometimes it feels to us as if it's being superhuman. And one of the challenges is that the, the scriptures are, are, are full of so many promises that, that sometimes we don't know how to actualize. It's almost as if God wants to do things in our lives, and we have to trust and believe that God is sincere in that. But most of us don't live in the experience of the promises that are in the scriptures. There's a huge gap between us. And, and one of those is, is that this place where Jesus says, a statement that most of us are so familiar with. It's in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says this. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life in abundance. If you've had faith for five minutes, you've probably heard that. You, you probably learned that phrase before you ever knew what it meant. But, but here's the challenge. When I hear those words from Jesus, I've come to give you life and to give you life in abundance. One of the challenging things is, well, most of us think we're already alive. And it's really hard to give someone something they think they already have. And then he says, I've come to give you life. That's the starting point. And to give you life in abundance. But my experience is that very few of us are living a life that wakes us up every morning where we're so grateful to be alive that we can't wait to step into the day. Most of us are just existing and actually not living. And we keep thinking there's, there's, there must be some kind of deficit in our faith or deficit in us because we can't seem to live in that experience. And, and that, that I think a part of the problem is that so oftentimes the, the promises that God gives us are pulled out of the context in which God makes them. I know with me, with my kids, I had to always be really careful when I made them a promise because they would take the promise out of the context. And they said, yeah, but you said, I said, yes, I did say that, and I said that in this context. You pull the promise out of the context, and the promise is no longer valid. If you take the promise out of the context, the promise no longer is active. You have to put the promise into the context so that you can experience the promise. So when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to an abundance, there's a context for that promise. And what I want to do just for a few moments is to place us in the context so that we can live in that promise. You with me? So right before that, Jesus tells a story or paints a picture. He says, very truly, I tell you Pharisees, he's talking to the religious leaders, 
the religious leaders who believe they know God, but they know about God, but they don't know God. It says, very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Now, one of the challenging things of in, uh, interpreting Jesus is he uses metaphors that are not as relevant to us anymore. Because I've really never been a shepherd, and I didn't grow up around sheep, and I don't know if sheep are real popular here in Malaysia, but I have a feeling most of you have never been around sheep either. And so this metaphor is, is a little challenging because the truth of it can be lost to us. Does anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber? But that might be a little more relevant because even though you may not have sheep in Malaysia, you probably have robbers and thieves. It says, the one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He has brought out all of his own. He goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because he does not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, I want you to realize that everything Jesus just said, every shepherd would understand. This wasn't profound. It wasn't insightful. It was just a normative understanding of the way sheep relate to shepherds. The shepherds call out their sheep that sheep understand and hear. They can identify the voice of their shepherd and follow him. This isn't a breakthrough. But the Pharisees still couldn't understand him because they couldn't understand the relationship between what Jesus was saying, describing the relationship between shepherds and sheep and the relationship between us and God. Because the Pharisees knew about God, but they did not know God. They didn't understand why a conversation about voices could have any relationship to their faith. It goes on to say, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, in literature, they tell you you're not supposed to mix metaphors. But Jesus here mixes a metaphor. First, he says, I'm the shepherd, and you're the sheep. And then he says, I'm the gate. And I'm like, Jesus, are you the shepherd or are you the gate? Pick one. And Jesus basically responds, I'm God, I can be both. He says, I'm the gate for the sheep. He's changing the metaphor. He's trying to help them understand the truth that we need to understand. I am the gate. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. It's in this context that Jesus says, the thief comes to rob and to steal and to kill. But I've come to give you life and give you life in abundance. Why would Jesus tell this whole story about shepherds and sheep and thieves and robbers and gates and how sheep are called out by name and they hear their shepherd's voice, and they know the voice of their shepherd, and they ignore all the other strangers' voices. Why would Jesus have this really complex conversation about voices when he's talking about life? Is it possible that what Jesus is trying to tell us is that the voice of God is our life? 
And if you cannot hear God's voice, you will never find your way to life. He says, the thief comes to rob and to steal and to kill. Now, without going into a lot of detail, if there's a thief that's trying to steal something from you, you should be aware of it. You should pay attention to it. And if you can, you need to stop it from happening. In our family, my wife is incredibly generous. She gives things away all the time. I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking about things like our furniture. I've come home and all of our living room furniture has been gone. All of it. Nowhere to sit. And I'll say, honey, where's the furniture? And she'll say, oh, I, I met this young couple and they needed furniture. And, and so I just told them to come get it while you were out of town. And what am I supposed to say? I'm not really in a position where I can have a good position. I can't say go get it back. I can't say I don't want to give it because it's already gone. And in fact, my wife not only gives away our furniture, she gives away my clothes. I'm telling you, I'm going to have to hide these shoes. She already thinks I have too many shoes. I know she's plotting right now to give away shoes back home. Because I have a neurological challenge, I don't remember the way people remember. I have more of an eidetic memory, so I remember things in photographs, but I have no chronological memory, so I cannot remember the difference between yesterday and last week and last month and last year, and she knows that, so when I go out of town, she moves things, so I'll forget they're there. And when she's sure I've forgotten it, she gives it away. I have gone to church at Mosaic, and I've seen people with my clothes. And like this jacket, it might not be my jacket next year. So I have to wear it while I have it because there'll be a day, I'll go to Mosaic and I'll see someone and I'll go, man, I love that jacket. And they'll go, it, um, it was yours. I go, how did you get my, I've seen people with my shoes. I can't just walk in wearing another man's shoes. And, and I go, man, I love those. And they go, yeah, well, Kim gave those to me. And I go, Kim never had those shoes. Those are my shoes. But I can't say that. I go, oh, so glad you're enjoying them. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration. This actually happened. I came home one day. And our refrigerator was gone. Our refrigerator. And I walk into the kitchen, and where the refrigerator used to be, there's a small igloo, like ice box, this big. She puts it where the refrigerator used to be. Why does she just put it on the counter? I'm going to be able to tell the difference. And I, I said, Kim. Where's the refrigerator? I'm terrified I'm out of the country right now. And she said, well, honey, I met this young couple, and I met this couple, and they didn't have a refrigerator. And they really needed one, so I just gave them our refrigerator. And I said, honey, I know a couple who doesn't have a refrigerator. 
and they really need a refrigerator. I try to explain to my wife, it's only generosity if it's yours. Otherwise, you're a thief. And the thief comes to steal. So one time we were in the living room, and the kids were younger, and Aaron said, hey, uh, Mom, did you give away Dad's grill? I love cooking. I don't want to be a cook, I want to be a chef. I love grilling meat, it's a form of worship for me. And Aaron said, Mom, did you give away Dad's grill? And the moment he said it, I just looked at her. He said, there is a line that marriages cannot survive. And, uh, and I looked at her and she goes, no, 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 I, 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 didn't, I didn't give your Dad's grill. I said, why, why are you asking that? Kim, did you give away? No, I did not give away your girl. And Aaron looked at me and goes, well, Dad, did you give away your girl? And I said, no, a man does not give away his girl, son. There are things you must know about being a man. And uh, he goes, well, then there are four guys in the backyard stealing your girl. There are four guys in our backyard. They backed up a white truck and they were stealing my girl. They're stealing my manhood. They... And I, I threw on my shoes. I got up, I started running out the backyard. They saw me coming. So the, the grill was halfway up the bed of the truck. There's one guy driving, one guy in the bed pulling the grill up. It's a huge grill. And two guys trying to lift it. And when they see me coming, the driver takes off and they're running down the street trying to lift the grill to the top of the truck. I'm chasing them down the street. I don't care they're four men. They have my grill. And I'm chasing down the street, yelling at them, telling them what I'm going to do to them when I catch them in Jesus' name. And, and they must have seen the insanity in my eyes. Because I could see they were terrified. I don't know why they didn't stop it beat me down, take my grill. But you better be afraid of a Latino whose grill you've stolen. And I'm chasing them, and they finally were so afraid that two guys in the back just let go, jumped on the truck, they dropped the grill in the middle of the street and took off. I remember walking to the middle of the street, grabbing my grill, and walking it home. You do not steal a Latino's grill. But if they had stolen my grill, I could have bought a new one. But if they steal your life, how are you going to replace that? There's a thief who comes to rob and to steal and to kill. And when Jesus says, I've come to give you life, what you see, you need to understand what the thief is trying to take from you is your life. And he wants to leave you with existence. And you can know if your life has been stolen from you because you, you can barely breathe enough to live. You don't wake up with a sense of anticipation and joy. Life is a struggle. You struggle with 
with fear and with doubt, with depression and despair. And I, I have a sense there's some of you here, even though you're celebrating and singing and cheering, that at the core of your soul, there's still so much pain and emptiness. There's so much sorrow and disappointment with life. And I want you to know it's the thief trying to steal your life from you. So how does he steal your life? Because I used to be really good at like breaking safes. It's just a hobby. <laughs> and I was the guy that could listen to locks, hear the clicking and open them without knowing the codes. It was a great way of picking up girls in high school. Oh, you can't open your locker, I got it. I'm a good listener. But if you don't know how the thief is coming, you may not be able to stop him. See, and I, I gotta be really honest with you. See, I didn't grow up in church and I didn't grow up in all this. So I, I think a lot of our Christian talk about like the devil is just really weird. Oh, the devil did this and Satan is doing that. Nah, he probably isn't. Because see, Satan isn't God. He cannot be everywhere. He can only be one place. A lot of us act as if Satan is God too. And you go, oh no, the devil is like trying to bring me down. He, he probably doesn't even know you're around. You're just not that awesome. See, I don't think the devil is trying to destroy me. I think he's probably unaware of me. See, I think the, the problem is that there is a thief trying to steal your soul, trying to steal your life, but he's not doing it the way you think. It's very, very subtle and it's very shrewd. The reason Jesus is talking about voices is, let me tell you, the way that the thief steals your life is becoming a voice in your soul that tells you who you're not and what you cannot become. Have you ever had voices in your head that just keep haunting you? See, I, I, I know that there's a part of me that's a little crazy because I've always had all these voices in my head. Man, I've had them. And you ever notice that, that people get inside of you and their voices stay with you even when the people are out of you? Even when they're no longer part of your life, their voices stay with you. And what's really weird is that people can encourage you all your life and those voices don't stay with you. But the people who discourage you, their voices stick. The person who tells you you're awesome, that voice doesn't always stay with you. You need to hear it again and again and again and again. But the voice that tells you you will never amount to anything, that voice, it connects to your soul and haunts you the rest of your life. And so I look back at my life and I realize that really early on in my life, somehow those voices, they got so deep inside of me. See, is it possible that the reason Jesus is telling us that he's come to give us life in the middle of a conversation about voices is that it is the voice of God that is life. And when God begins to speak into your life, when you begin to allow the voice of God to inform you and to form you, you become alive. See, psychologically, neurologically, we're what are called open-loop creatures. Have you heard that phrase? See, humans are open-loop. And, and what that means is that you are vulnerable to outside influences. And you are susceptible to positive outside influences. Have you ever been really happy and you walked into a room of really depressed people? And you walked out really depressed? You ever had like a big idea, a dream, a vision? You're just sure it came from God. 
Like, man, I have this dream, I have this vision. And you share it with your friends and go, yeah, that's never going to happen. That's not, that's not you. You're not good enough. You, you ever just felt yourself deflated by how everyone punched a hole into your soul? And you just had the wind knocked out of you? Isn't it odd that you can actually be discouraged by people just by what they say? What's that? How does that even matter? But have you ever been discouraged and you walked into a room full of hopeful people? You ever, you ever walked into here and just had a really hard week and thought, man, I'm never going to amount to anything. My life's never going to change. Have you ever walked into a place like this place? without even the energy or strength to fight for one more day of life, and suddenly Pastor Kevin says something and it inspires you, and somehow it infuses hope into your soul? See, that's because you're an open-loop creature. Because God designed you with an open loop. Why? Because, you see, you're designed for a relationship with God. If you were a closed-loop creature, God could not influence your soul. You're, that open loop is supposed to be connected to the creator of the universe, but the problem is when we're disconnected from the creator, that open loop is wide open to any influence. That's why as a child, your open loop, it leans towards your parents. Who am I? That open loop is open, so wide open, so vulnerable, so innocent. And if someone says, man, you can do this, you just absorb it. And if someone says you will never amount to anything, it just cuts you at the core. And some of you, you've been trying to close that loop because you're in so much pain. And you felt so much betrayal in your life and you, you feel so small and so insignificant that you've been trying to close that loop because you don't want to experience any more pain or disappointment or betrayal. But the moment you close that loop, you also close it to hope. You close it to the possibilities. Yet you ever wondered why a person would fall in love and then have their heart broken and then risk falling in love again? Man, how dumb can we be? Once you have your heart broken, shouldn't you just say, that's it? Not trying again. I'm already 12 years old. I'm not going to let my heart be broken another time. And yet you just keep opening that loop to love. Because you just, you just, you know your soul needs something and, you, and it needs something that doesn't just come from the inside out, it has to come from somewhere. And you don't know where that somewhere is. And see, what Jesus is saying is because you've been designed by God for a relationship with him, you're an open loop creature and the thief knows where that open loop is. And the thief knows how to steal your life, and it's by placing a voice inside of you that was never supposed to be inside of you. You ever have a memory come back that you didn't even know was in your brain? I, ha I have a lot of, um, you ever seen redacted material that comes from the government where everything's blacked out, all the important information is blacked out? I have a lot of redacted material in my brain. A lot of things that somehow I blacked out of my story because uh, there was just like too much pain. And then little by little as I grow and mature and become healthier, 
some of that redacted material becomes unredacted and all of a sudden I remember something. I was driving to this event and I started just trying to think about what I would um, talk about and all of a sudden I remembered this meaningless experience. I might have been nine, ten years old living in Miami, Florida and I was always really absent-minded and we lived in this small little house and it was just a small thing but you're supposed to grab a towel from the closet before you took a shower and I would always forget. And I'd be in the shower, and of course, in the shower, I would remember, oh, I need a towel. It's a little late. And so I would always yell, hey, I need a towel. And, and my mom or my brother or one of my sisters would grab me a towel and hand it to me through the door. And that went on probably for a long time until I just exhausted everyone's patience. And one day, I was in the shower and thought, oh, no, I forgot the towel again. And I went to the, the, the bathroom door and said, hey, I need a towel. And I closed the door and I got back in the shower. I thought, Mom's going to keep taking a shower until they bring me a towel. And, and all of a sudden, the door opened and two people in my family pulled back the curtain. And they dragged me out of the shower completely naked. Dragged me out of the bathroom, down the hall, through the living room. And then they threw me out the front door. You can laugh. And they threw me out naked. So my instinct was to turn back, try to get back in, but they locked the door. And I started banging on the door. And they're just laughing and mocking me at the other side. And then a car drove by, and I was like, I'm naked and wet. And then two bicycles went by, slower. Now I felt very naked. <laughs> then I saw some people starting walking in my direction at the street. And I thought, I gotta hide, gotta hide, gotta hide. And there's this little bush. It was such. An anemic, meaningless little bush. It had almost no leaves. It was an embarrassment to its species. And, <laughs> but it's all that was there. And, and so I remember just getting behind that little bush in a fetal position. And I was hiding in my own little garden because I was naked and ashamed. I had never heard of Adam and Eve. I'd never heard of the story in the Bible. And as I was driving the car, I remembered being thrown out of the house naked and how ashamed I felt. I don't remember how long I was there. I don't remember what happened because I blacked out from shame. And I started remembering, thinking, okay, it was obvious I was naked, but how did I know to be ashamed? Like, no one ever taught me to be ashamed. No one said, when you're naked, you need to be ashamed. I didn't even know about the story in the Bible about Adam and Eve being naked and ashamed in front of God. And so I, I started going back and I started researching this thought. I thought, what happened to Adam and Eve? Why were they naked and ashamed? How did they know to be ashamed? How did they know to hide from God? How did I know to hide? And back in Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want you to stop here for a second. They heard the sound of God walking. There's some of you here, you don't even know what, it, what the sound of God talking is. And they could identify the sound of God walking. They had such an intimate relationship with God that not only could they identify the voice of God talking, they could identify the voice of the sound of God walking. And remember, there are all these animals. Bears, lions, squirrels, whatever. There are sounds in the garden all the time. 
but they could identify the sound of God walking because they were created for intimacy with God. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is not God going, the paradise, it's just so, like, thick. Where are you? He's not saying, I can't find you. What God is asking when he says, where are you, is how did you get to where you are? Because you're someplace you're not supposed to be. How did you get to the place where you're hiding from me rather than running to me? How did you get there? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Isn't that strange that that's the main thing on his mind? I just disobeyed the creator of the universe. I just did the one thing he told me not to do. And I'm focused on being naked and ashamed. See, I think I'd be focused on bigger things. I just violated the one law you gave me. I don't know if I'd be thinking about being naked and ashamed. Isn't it odd that even though they just caused the entire universe to go into disarray, he was focused on being naked and ashamed. And God's question to me is so odd. God just really throws me off all the time. I'm like, God, why are you focusing on that? Because if I created humanity and you did the one thing I told you to do, I'd be going, what were you thinking? Isn't that what parents do? Why did you do that? I don't know. What were you thinking? I don't know. See, I, if I were God, I'd be going, who did it? Which one of you? Was it you first or you first? The snake. So many important questions to ask. Do you understand the implications of what you just did? God doesn't ask any of that. God asks the strangest question. Who told you that you were naked? Isn't that a strange question? Why does that matter at all? Who told you that you were naked? God didn't even focus on the crime. He didn't focus on the fact they stole something that was God's and not theirs. He didn't focus on the fact that they broke the only command he gave them. When God said, I want to know who told you you were naked. I don't want to deal with your offense. I want to talk to you about your shame. See, humans always want to prove you're guilty. But God wants to deal with your shame. Who told you you were naked? Do you hear what God is saying? What voice have you allowed into your soul to tell you who you are and who you're not? This is the first time in human history that any other voice informed humanity other than the voice of God. You see, if if they had not listened to another voice, they would have never experienced shame. Some of you, you are drowning in guilt and shame. You just feel so inadequate. You've just believed the lie that told you you were less, and God is looking at you saying, who told you that you were naked? 
What voice have you allowed into your soul that is giving you your identity? That's speaking into your value because that voice is lying to you and stealing from you your life. Who told you? I look back at being 10 years old. How did I know that I was naked and ashamed? Who spoke into my soul? See, God never speaks into your soul to paralyze you with shame. He speaks into your soul to fill you with life. Then it occurred to me, I thought, has there ever been a parallel moment like this? It was in John chapter 8. You, you probably know the story. It says that the Pharisees found this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And, and my... my best understanding is usually when you're committing the act of adultery, there's usually two people involved, right? Not just one. If you're alone, you're not committing adultery. And you're usually naked. That's how it works. And, and so they came in, they, they grabbed this woman in the act of adultery. So it means they left the man, probably because he was one of their friends, they dragged the woman in her nakedness down the street and they threw her in front of Jesus. And then they said, hey, she's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? And it says they didn't care about the woman. They were just trying to trap Jesus. And here's this moment where this woman is dragged naked in her brokenness, in her sinfulness, in her shame. She's thrown in front of Jesus and Jesus never addresses her nakedness. In fact, he says, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. It says, one by one, they drop their stones from the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus looked at the woman and says, woman, who condemns you? And she says, no one. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And this story is beautiful. Maybe my favorite story in the scriptures, but there's something really missing. Couldn't Jesus just take a moment and cover her nakedness? And why didn't one of the disciples take a moment and just cover her nakedness? You know what? Peter's always doing stuff no one told him to do. <laughs> He's cutting off a Roman's ear. Good idea? No. I mean, Jesus is like picking up in the air going, Peter, Peter, Peter. That Roman soldier's like, what's going on? I think Peter was trying to cut off his head. I think he was just a bad swordsman. He was a fisherman. Where did he get that sword, by the way? I kind of wish he had been accurate. I wish he had cut off the Roman's head. Because it would have been kind of epic. Jesus. Picking up a head. Peter. 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 Oh, backwards. Peter's the guy. Lord, call me. I'll walk on the water. So why doesn't Peter initiate and just cover this woman's nakedness? Or why didn't he encourage one of the other disciples like, Bartholomew. I mean, why does he say Bartholomew? Take your robe and cover the woman's nakedness. Come on, man, do something. You're not even going to make it in the Bible because you'd never do anything. <laughs> Bartholomew never does anything. This was his moment. He just, it would have been a great story. And Bartholomew runs and covers the woman's nakedness. <laughs> I'm in the book. Nothing. Jesus never deals with her nakedness. He's just freeing her from her shame. 
because he wants to teach her how to be naked and unashamed. So she never has to hide who she is. And then I thought about how King David, how he came back from war and he was dancing in the streets and his wife, Michael, got angry because it says he was dancing naked in front of the Lord and she said, you brought humiliation on us and yourself. And David said, you think this is humiliating? Watch how we worship the Lord as I go forward. I started wondering, is it possible to be naked unashamed? And I realized, you ever, you ever notice, like I, I love fashion, I was a fashion designer well, we humans, we, we, we put on clothes for a lot of reasons. I mean, the basic thing is to cover our shame. I mean, I, I don't know how to be naked and unashamed. I can't even be naked and unashamed by myself. You know, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like getting dressed in the mirror. Oh, oh. it's like, <sighs> I don't need to see that. It's like, you know, and, and in fact, the Bible says that Adam and Eve, their first command from God was eat freely. That's the first command in the Bible. Eat, I want to eat freely. How about you? Can you imagine? They could eat freely and they were naked and unashamed. I get one of two options. I can either eat freely or be naked and unashamed. But if I eat freely, I will be very ashamed if I'm naked. <laughs> but you see, we've spent our lives covering ourselves. Do you know what fashion is? It's, it's, it's our way of trying to communicate who we want to be. It is. And you ever noticed that the cooler you are, the more you look like everybody else? All cool people look exactly the same. How odd. You're unique, just like all thousand of them. It's because we want to belong. It's because we don't know who we are. It's because a part of our nakedness is our loss of identity. It's a part of our nakedness are all the voices inside of us telling us who we're not. So you never find out who you are. And so you become ashamed because you don't want anyone to see inside of your soul because if anyone actually saw you, they may never love you or accept you. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, you see. He, he covered Adam and Eve. But that was just a temporary solution. Because he, he understood their shame and he didn't want them to stand in front of them in him in their shame. But he knew what they needed was his voice again. Isn't it odd that John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word walked among us, and the Word took on flesh, and we beheld his glory. See that, that Word? It should actually be the voice. In the beginning was the voice, and the voice was God, and the voice was with God. And the voice took on flesh and blood, and the voice walked among us. And we saw the glory of that voice. And I want you to know something. You are an open loop creature. You're designed for a relationship with God. And the problem is because you're an open loop creature, you have all these voices inside of your head. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have too many voices sometimes. It's so crowded in my brain. I hear every voice that told me I would never become anything. I would never amount to anything. All those voices that told me I had no talent, those voices that told me I had no intelligence, those voices that told me I had no future. And those voices, they crippled me. Those voices, they haunted me. Those voices were like demons that waited in the dark to scare me at night. And then 
I turned to the openness of my soul to the God who created me. And I decided to let his voice be the voice that shapes me, that tells me who I am, that tells me why I was created. I would allow the voice of God to give me my purpose and my intention, my value and my significance. And I want you to know that there's a thief who comes to rob and to steal and to kill. And every voice that tells you that you cannot become more, every voice that tells you you don't have a future and a hope, any voice that says that you're insignificant, that you don't have what it takes, those are not the voice of God. That's the voice of the thief trying to steal your life from you. And I want you to speak back to those voices. I want you to command them to be silent because they have no authority over your life. I was in Toronto, Canada, and this man named John, he was an engineer from China, came up to me and he said, hi, my name's John and I'm an atheist. So many people introduce themselves to me like that. He goes, I'm an atheist and um, you're talking about the voice of God. I said, yes. And he said, uh, what does God's voice sound like? John, you're an atheist? And he goes, yes. I said, it sounds like nothing because there's no God. He goes, well, I know what God's voice sounds like to me because there's no God. But what does God's voice sound like to you? I say, well, it's kind of confusing because most of the time God's voice sounds like, like my voice. It's my conscience. Sometimes it sounds like my mom when he's angry. <laughs> he goes, what does God's voice sound like to you? And I, I, I said, John, you're an atheist, right? He goes, yes, I'm an atheist. I said, I said why are you here? He goes, what, what, what do you mean why I'm here? I said, why are you here? You're an atheist. He goes, well, I'm here because my friends invited me. I said, no, no, no. That's why you're here. But why are you here talking to me right now, asking me about the voice of God? You're an atheist. Why would this even matter to you? I, I just want to know, what does God's voice sound like to you? I said, well, John, my brain is really crowded. There's so many people living inside of me. I don't know where they came from. They're all me but they don't all agree with me. So do you ever have voices in your head that argue with you? He goes, yeah. You know, like, sometimes I, I, I want to give up. And there's suddenly this little voice says, now you can't give up. They go, just shut up. And they go, no, you can't give up. You have to pay attention and do what I tell you because you're me. But that voice won't listen to me. So do you ever, you ever have a voice inside of you? And I go, I, I, I'm never going to be more. And then there's this voice that says, no, nah, there's more. See, there, if there's, there's these voices. There's this voice inside of me, and it always disagrees with me. The moment I, I'm filled with despair, it says, now nah, there's hope. The moment I want to choose bitterness, the voice says, no, nah, you need to choose forgiveness. There's a voice inside of me that's always irritating me. And I said, John, you're an atheist, right? He goes, yes, I'm an atheist. I said, is there a voice in your head? that you don't know how it got there. In fact, maybe that voice said, go talk to the guy, go talk to the guy, go talk to the guy. There might be a God. There's a God, there's a God. I said, John, is there a voice in your head that, that just keeps telling you, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. In fact, you're an atheist, so you don't know how that voice got in there. You keep telling that voice to cooperate because you know there's no God. And I said, that voice, it's like a parasite in your brain, eating away at your reason. You can't stop it from arguing with you. It keeps telling you there's a God. 
And this guy looked at me and goes, yes, it's like a parasite in my brain. I can't stop it. It keeps telling me there's a God. I said, John, that parasite is God. The thief comes to rob and to steal and to kill, and the, and the thief knows exactly what to tell you to paralyze you. Knows exactly what to tell you to cripple you. Knows exactly what to tell you to reinforce all the fears and doubts inside of you. That voice, it knows the internal narrative of your soul. And Jesus came to silence those voices that were never supposed to speak into your life. See, when you mess up, when you take the fruit from the wrong tree, when you mess up your life and the world all around you, you know what's the only question God's going to ask you? Not why did you do that, but who told you that you were naked? So who told you that you were naked? I wish I could go back and tell my 10-year-old self. You should have remembered the towel. But that's okay. You're outside and you're wet and you're naked. You can't do anything about being naked, but we can deal with the shame thing. Don't let anyone speak shame into your soul. I wish I could go back and tell my 10-year-old me, stop being ashamed. Learn how to dance naked in the rain. If I could go back, I would change. I wouldn't bang in that door and say, please let me back in. i just go, well, this is what it is. I just walk down the street to my family's best friend's door, knock on their door and go, I just want to know, do you have a towel? Because one thing I've learned, no one, no one can ever leave you trapped in your shame if you will not allow it. People will always want to define you by your worst moments, drown you in your shame define you by your shame, hold you prisoner in your shame. Not Jesus, who condemns you? No one, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. There's a voice that wants to speak life into your soul. He wants to set you free. He wants to free you from your guilt and your shame. He wants to give you a future and a hope. He's speaking even now. The universe is declaring his message to you. Do you hear him? Oh, he's so clear. Do you hear him? I can hear the sound of his feet as he's walking in the cool of the garden. I can hear him. He's speaking to you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's the voice that your soul has been searching for. Father, speak. <laughs>